You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're chatting with Dr. Tracy Turner about social license and veterinary sustainability. Dr. Turner is the current AAEP Vice President and will be installed as the 2024 President-Elect at this year's convention and will be the 2025 AAEP President. He is the owner of Turner Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Minnesota. Dr. Turner is a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation, and he is the fellow of the American Academy of Thermology. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by CareCredit. Welcome, Dr. Turner. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our little discussion. Me too. So I know you have been involved in the leadership of AAP a long time, but especially recently during a time of a lot of work and change when it comes to veterinary sustainability. So let's Let's start by talking about that. How is the AEP taking a leadership role in equine veterinary sustainability? Well, a few years ago, we found out that we were unsustainable. We were losing practitioners out the end due to retirement, uh, aging out of practice. And we came to the horrible realization that of the young people that came in, 50% of them left practice within the first five years. We did a little more deep digging, and we found out we were, we were losing students in veterinary school. So we started different projects uh, along the lines to, to shore up each of the areas we thought where we could improve uh, equine practice and equine veterinarians. So uh, we, have, we have five categories. We have a, a student subcommittee looking at uh, trying to um, – Make sure students stay interested in it. Make sure we don't lose them while in veterinary school. Uh, so we have a group that's working on that. We have a, uh, we'll start this fall with a, a presentations going to all the veterinary schools and capturing those young students and making sure we don't lose them there. But also plans to discuss with administration and politely ask the faculty not to uh, stab equine practice in the heart as they have a tendency to do. The second group was internship group. Now, for the last 30 years, I've made jokes, and it turns out they weren't very funny, but I've made jokes that the biggest problem with equine practice is that we had a tendency to eat our young. Uh, we would we'd work them hard, and, and then they'd quit. And when we had a lot of people entering practice, it wasn't a problem. But now that we have the leaky bucket, it's a problem. And now we have a, a group, the internship group got the, got the best start, and they're working on a program to make sure that when, when young veterinarians sign up for an internship, they get what they ask for, at least that the internships are as described, and that uh, pushing that these are, these are mentorships. These are, these are not cheap labor. These are mentorships to move forward to build the practitioners that we want in equine practice. Uh, so there's all the whole group about that. Number three was compensation. We found that our own big area, uh, our own big group, the AVMA, 
inattent, you know, it was not intentional, uh, but they were kind of stabbing us in the heart. And, and it was by using different statistics. I mean, they were telling their statistics that they'd advertised came up that practitioner, a first year practitioner can only expect to make $55,000. Uh, yeah, that's not right. So we did some of our own work to find out what really practitioners make in their first year and what can they expect. And uh, the, the data's out and we're mining it even for more, but we can tell you that that first year of practice, that uh, what you will see on your W-2 is gonna be someplace around $89,000. Um, big difference. Plus, plus <laughs> it's a big difference. Um, so, and, and we've got more data and we're mining that uh, to try to get the best out of it to, to show that, yeah, no, equine practice is a great place to be um, and, and work that. Number four was working on practice culture. Uh, and, and, and equine veterinarians might not have used to be the ones that say sat around the campfire singing Kumbaya, but by golly, we need to turn into that. Uh, we, we need to be friendlier in practice. And this, this, this may be also something that has to do with just equine in general. If you look at the equine industry, it sometimes is not as friendly, but we've identified several areas in that to shore up the, to, for practice owners, hey, you know, this is this is how we can we can do better at these things, uh, and let's make culture friendly where everybody um, everybody's invited, and 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 move on from that where that it's a great work environment, uh, and and you don't have these others. And then we have the the fifth one, um, which is. Sometimes everybody's bane, but it's actually it's it's one of the best ways to learn, and it's it's working out uh, that and that's emergency duty. Um, having been a practitioner for over 45 years now, yep, I, emergency can get old, and yep, it, it it can. But we we're we're building different models to provide the different uh, individuals to see what works for them to make this a sustainable thing. We have to provide emergency duty. I mean, it's, it's you know, horses get sick out of hours, just like uh, animals, just like people. You know, it's 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 what we have to provide. But how are we going to do that into the future? And I think it'll work differently for different people. Um, there's there's lots of ideas floating out. And uh, we're, we're, we're building a smorgasbord of, of, of methods and to make this workable situation for everybody. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Well, that was a, a great rundown on that. And and I've got to ask you, Dr. Turner, so you're coming in as AAP, president-elect, and then you will be the president. So what is your focus going to be on as you keep this leadership role? Well, I had an addition to this. Yes, we, we need, to, we need uh, to recruit and retain equine veterinarians, but I've seen it. Sometimes I go, 
I, I have vision and the rest of the world has biofocals. And I, there's a thing called social license. And this is where society allows us to work with horses. And there are people out there working daily against the way we use horses. I, I mean, they, 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 uh, and I'm not going to make it a fight about that, but I'm going to come back to, you know, what we used to be really respected for as equine practitioners. And that is that we take an oath to the welfare of these animals that we hold, we hold so highly. And, um, I just very simply say, you know what, um, we, we need um, we need to work the oath, you know, act on the oath. This is our oath. Let's let's do it and make sure that um, we we do the best we can for the welfare of horses each and every single day. Um, and when we when we look at certain things. We, we need to make some change. Um, and I'll be, be quite, and, and, if, and if we don't make change and society takes horses away from us, there won't be any need to have equine practitioners because there won't be any horses to get the work on. Um, unless you want to go work on the working equids around the world. And for and those of you. Will be making that poor salary. Yeah, really. Well, and and for those of you who kind of are like, okay, I've I've heard that, you know, social license. Think about circuses. Most of us as we grew up had the traveling circuses. You could go to any of the larger ones, the smaller ones, they were all over the place. They don't exist anymore. And that was because the public decided that that was not a proper use of those animals. So you can ha- you might have a circus come to town, but it's not going to have anything but maybe some horses uh, doing some, you know, vaulting around the arena. You won't see elephants anymore. Right. Uh, I mean, and, and uh, you know what? We're growing up to be a better society because of this. But on the other hand, we need to grow up. Um, we, need, we need to understand what's going on. And, and sometimes... Um, well, let's just say I want, we, we, we need to do a better job than we have in the past. Uh, we certainly push, but it's hard, it's hard to make change. I, I hate to bring up some of our black eyes, but let's talk about the Tennessee walking horse industry. Um, over 50 years ago, the Horse Protection Act was passed to stop the, the act of soaring horses in order for them to to step high, et cetera. And 50 years down the road, you know what? We still have the same thing going on. It may not be as bad, but it's still there. And yeah. we, can look, we, can, we can look at all of our horse industries. Um, there's, there's, there's black eyes and uh, there's, there's things sometimes um, As veterinarians, we, what's the word, um, we enable them, uh, people to do things that we might not agree with. Uh, here, I'm, I'm just going to be frank and have people throw stones. Um, AEP came out years ago uh, with um, a stance on tail alterations, whether, whether, it, whether it be in the, the, the gated horses 
or whether it be in the American Quarter Horses, and this stuff goes on. And I know at one point, sometimes it was done with the idea as a veterinarian, if I don't do it, somebody else will. You know what? I think we just have to stop and say no. And when we find those people that are coming in and doing it, they're practicing veterinary medicine without a license. Uh, and we have to put a stop to this. We, we, we have to stand in front and just say no. If it's done for the health of the animal, I have no problem whatsoever. But when it's it's done for cosmetic reasons, for, for no reason medically whatsoever, come on, we can do better than this. We are better people than this. Um, and if, if that means that we have to start looking at, hey, let's change some judging rules or something. It's, it's um, nobody likes being a cop every single day of their life. But on the other hand, we owe this to our patients, to the animals that we so dearly love, and that's why we do what we do. And um, that's that will be one of my marks is that I've been involved with a lot of this through, uh, I consulted with USDA trying to help them with the HPA. I work for FEI, um, and I'm doing some work with the American Quarter Horse Association. And I think these large groups will push it forward that, look, you know, let's let's get together and we will we will do what's right. Well, doing what's right for the horse should be all of our goals. I completely agree. It should be easy. Yeah. And for I guess for those who and. and Dr. Turner and I have talked about this offline in the past, but for those of you all who think, okay, I work on backyard horses, I work on breeding stock, I work on whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. If a segment of the industry comes under attack and we haven't taken a stand against bad practices, then society will take a stand against the whole industry. They won't discriminate. That's absolutely correct. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it only takes a few rotten apples to spoil the whole barrel. And um, you can, and, and I'm not a big social media person, but uh, I kind of watch things and you can read it and you can see the writing on the wall. And they're just, you know, it'll, it'll be one thing after another and, unless we take control of this and do a better job than we're doing. I mean, and it's little things, and sometimes it's even things you don't think about. Um, I was talking with a colleague from the UK, and um, and he was talking about he was he, they were gonna they're they're working on a on a on a whipping rule, and I was like, well, I was curious about you know tell me more, uh, and it's and it's not just what they see in in horse racing, it's it's every day and and he was he made the explanation that you know if i'm walking down the street with my dog and i hit my dog with something like that i'll be arrested and yet you know there's there can be a a, a child at a pony show whacking away on a pony with a bat you know a little a, a little whip and going yeah you know what that's a good point uh Maybe the kid doesn't, you know, it's, it's training needs to be done at home under the best circumstances. Uh, and, you know, we, nobody needs to be watching somebody whack a pony uh, because they're not going forward. It's, um, 
I, I was I was just at a at a horse show Sunday, um, watching. Well, they're watching the, the, the draft horse classes, and uh, you know, most of them were great, but there was one horse that just wasn't going forward, and and it's it's I, I was I was a little upset, and the announcer it was sitting there trying to make excuses. But they were, they were, they was, I would have called it excessive use of the whip and would have excused them right from the class because that looks bad for the public. Um, you know, they, the public doesn't necessarily understand everything we do. And, but we have to make sure that, that when we do something like that, that it's, it's very much under control. And yes, it, it's for our own safety, it's for the safety of everybody. But when it's when it becomes excessive, it needs to stop right away, and and we we need to be there to go. No, no, goodbye, and and it's done, and we'll have a discussion later. This is these are not public discussions. Well, I I think you've given us a lot of uh, fodder for thought here today, not only with vet sustainability but with social license. Thank you. And do you have anything else you would want to uh, mention today while we're we're chatting with everyone? Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to go back to just you know equine practice in general. Um, here here I was just having another chat with a colleague, and um, yep, um, I'm in the twilight of my career, uh, going on to some more adventures, but I have had a great veterinary career. I have. I have, may not have enjoyed every single minute of it, but I have enjoyed my time as a practitioner. Um, I, I couldn't even imagine doing anything different. It's, it's been great. And uh, now I can tell all my clients, thank you for paying me every day to go play with horses. Because um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, and um, it's, it, was a, it was a dream I had as a, as a young person. And um, I, I, I get to go out and I, I get to say that, nope, I did it my whole life, essentially. Well, that is great. Thank you so much, Dr. Turner, for joining us today on the Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, who lets us have a space to have these conversations. And we invite all our listeners to go to equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear all the episodes of the Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K brown, at equinenetwork.com. Mm-hmm.